understanding cultural differences doesn't mean you have to transform yourself. It's being aware of your own cultural preferences, those of the people you're with, and how you can bridge the differences. Welcome to the Going Global podcast, brought to you by Globalization Partners. Hire anyone, anywhere, quickly and easily. Use our AI-driven, automated, fully compliant global employer of record platform, powered by our in-house worldwide HR experts with 97% customer satisfaction ratings. Globalization Partners, succeed faster. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Going Global, the podcast where leaders of high-growth companies tell us their own stories of going global and building global remote teams. I'm your host, Diego Mendiburu, and remember that you can find all episodes of this show on Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts. On today's show, we're going to interview Lainey Denslow, founder and principal at Worldwide Intercultural Training and Resources. We will talk about how to build productive connections with colleagues, clients, and employees from around the world, especially now that we are communicating almost exclusively with tools such as Slack, Zoom, and LinkedIn. Lainey is a leading author, popular speaker, and advisor on how culture shapes business practices and business protocols around the world. Hello, Lainey, and welcome to our podcast. Hello, Diego. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Fantastic. Well, let's get into it. Um, when we talk uh, about working and doing business globally, we hear people say, hey, be mindful of cultural differences. But what does that mean? What exactly are those cultural differences that we must be aware of? Well, I'm happy you asked that we started here. So culture in terms that we're considering it today, we're not talking about music and painting and food and fashion. We're talking about people's behavior. And really culture is about shared practices shared beliefs, common expectations about how people are going to do things, conduct their business, their lives. So we go back to culture for me is about those shared expectations. And when two people come together and they don't have the same expectations about how something's to be done, that's when you start to have some friction and some disconnect. So a simple thing as what does it mean to be on time? If both people don't have the same understanding, you probably have had moments where there was a disconnect. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, our human reaction is the other person's wrong. If you don't do it, whatever it is, my the way I think it's supposed to be done, then my reaction is you're wrong. It's a normal human reaction. And in that moment, it interferes with our being able to work smoothly together. So culture for me is really how people behave. There's a researcher who called it the software of the mind because we're not aware of this. We just know how things are supposed to be. And of course, that changes from company to company, from organization to organization, but sometimes, and most of the times, from country to country, right? Right. And every one of us is our internal culture, our, our way we think things are supposed to be, uh, is actually influenced by a number of things. First, where we live, where we were born, where we live now, our family, our religion, where we went to school, what companies we've worked for, whether we're a sales executive or a CPA. 
Culture comes in to us in many ways and we internalize it and then we have how we think the world is supposed to be. But I think one of the most important things always is about the country that's home for you. Of course. Why is it important to consider these cultural differences when working with colleagues, partners, and, and clients? It's expensive if you don't. So let me tell you two stories that illustrate what I mean by it's expensive. Please. First, let's talk about expensive in a dollars and cents way. And we'll talk about a big company, Walmart. And if you look at their list of countries they're in, which is extensive, you'll see that they're not in Germany, the hmm. biggest market in the EU. And part of that reason was cultural misunderstanding or cultural lack of awareness. They went into the German market as if they were going to operate the way they do in Los Angeles or Dallas. Greet everybody at the door. When it came to the groceries, they bag your groceries for you. They have a little chat with you. Well, for the Germans, that just didn't work. Don't greet me. Don't smile at me. I don't know you. And don't touch my groceries when I have picked them out. They're mine now. And for that clerk trying to be nice, the German reaction was, why are you flirting with me? <laughs> so, um, and people didn't like it. You know, I went to the grocery store, I don't want to be flirted with, and they didn't go back. There were some other things going on, but culture was a big reason it cost Walmart a billion dollars. Big money. But for most of us, we're not thinking about the big money. Where we see those cultural differences influence what happens is in day-to-day -day engagements. So let me tell you one more story Please. about a pharmaceutical company that I did a program for. And getting ready for the program, we were talking about what was going to be the content. And they were in New Jersey in the US, but they were bringing team members from the UK, from France, from Poland, from Switzerland. And they, we were talking about a lot of things. And as this aside, one of the women said to me, Lainey, have you ever noticed that those people from Europe, they have a lot of vacations. They're always gone. And I thought, yeah, I've noticed that. And, you know, they never answer their email on the weekends and close the business. It's a problem, you know. But we love those people. We're excited to see them. Well, I thought even though she didn't call it a problem, clearly it was. So we did a little exercise about what, how people defined what it meant to be on time with a response to something as simple as an email. And at the end, one of the guys from France said, so I suppose a week is too long. And the whole room started laughing. And I thought, well, this is good because if they're laughing, they hear the issue, they'll talk about it later and they'll figure it out. And why was it important? Because on each side of the world, there was a little friction about why do they take so long? Why do they, are they in such a hurry? And it impacted in a subtle way their ability to work together. And if it wasn't addressed, it would become a big problem. So it's expensive in a way of limiting the effectiveness of a team. Okay, so you've given us those two examples. So I guess the question is, when is the right moment to think about this? 
why did Walmart take so long to realize they had to change the, the way they approach their clients? I think the right moment is always that the company and makes cultural understanding a priority as they begin to enter a new market. And certainly Walmart had done a good job in a lot of markets, but in that particular market, for whatever the reason, the team didn't prioritize the cultural details. So it really begins at the beginning with a company having an emphasis on cultural training and cultural awareness, and simply that there are cultural differences and some companies just don't recognize that. And so it begins at the beginning. The sooner the better, basically. The sooner the better. And you know, it's, it's easy to think for us to think it's just us weird Americans who don't get this stuff, but really it's anytime there are people from two different backgrounds, two different, can be two different companies. We see it being a problem in mergers in companies where there are different corporate cultures. So it's being aware of the issue at the very beginning. I was going to ask this later on, but now that you mentioned this, I guess it's something that starts at the top, right? I was wondering, you know, some people say that organizations look a lot like their founders and leaders. Can a company thrive without having a leader that does not have like this global mindset? I think we could probably look at Walmart thrives without in one instance having a global mindset, but it's always better. And, and those things start from the top, the top of a team, the top of a company. And one of the issues in this sort of a side note, but one of the issues of building a, a, a global team is if you need people at the top who believe that a global team is important and they're going to add richness to their experience and support people and train people from all over the world. Well, of course, you, you have been advising companies for a long time, so you probably have a list of anecdotes of the most common cultural miscommunications that happen when entrepreneurs start doing business internationally. They don't expect it to be different. That's mm. the biggest cultural limiting factor. I have a friend who said, who used to run um, factories for IBM, Brazil, Switzerland, all over the world. And he said the problem with Americans I'd like to think we aren't the only people who demonstrated this, is they would come to a new place and they would expect to do things the way they did at home. Business as usual, as you would say. Yeah, well, we used to say, uh, he said, we used to say, you're not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> Kansas, you know, is a Midwestern state here. And that that was the biggest problem that he saw was that people, ex wherever they came from to a new market, expected it to be similar to what it was at home. And, and it's not, it's different. And if you can go with the idea of being curious about what's different, I think that's a big step is to bring your own curiosity to ask the question, what's going to be different? And out of that, you can learn and not be surprised when it's different. And I think you've said this, but I want to emphasize it. It is not only business meetings. It is not only product localization. 
it's not only how you conduct yourselves, it's, it's everything, right? All the areas in a company. It touches everything. And one of the things that makes it particularly challenging for people, even for people who are really committed to understanding what the new culture they're entering is, is to find the balance between what you retain of your own culture and what becomes yours out of the new culture and finding the way to bridge the differences without feeling as though you're giving up who you are. Because understanding cultural differences doesn't mean you have to transform yourself. It's being aware of your own cultural preferences, those of the people you're with, and how you can bridge the differences. And and, and again, you, you've mentioned this, but many people out there would think, oh, maybe if I'm an American and I'm going to Asia or to Europe, it's obvious that I will face this uh, differences. But no, we're talking about doing business globally. And the same goes for a Mexican doing business in the US or uh, someone from Spain doing business in Great Britain. It is truly a global market out there. And you have to be aware that anywhere you go, you will face people with a different cultural background. Yes, but I want, <laughs> I, I, I want to add one more little wrinkle here is that because we're so global, it's, it's easy to think, okay, I read a book and it says the people in America or Mexico are this way. But because we're so global in terms of education, travel, being able to see online, people aren't necessarily exactly what you think by reading a book. And let me tell you a story about that. So I have a colleague here who is in the tech world and she had uh, she's here, I'm here in Silicon Valley. So she had clients coming from Japan, important big clients. So we had a bunch of conversation about what, how to make them feel welcome. And one of the topics was where to take them for lunch. You know, do you find the best Japanese restaurant that you can find so they have food from home, even knowing it won't really be food from home, but it feels familiar. Do you take them to the hot new restaurant in Silicon Valley and show them what we think is the best. So she decided to give them a choice and she offered them, you know, Japanese food, California food. And one of the guys said to her, you know, what we would really like is some Mexican food because we went to grad school at Stanford and that we can't get at home. So you have to be prepared for the people you're with to be global too. Expect but the unexpected, right? <laughs> expect the unexpected. And that's why I come back to what I always think is one of the most important things you can bring to a new situation is be curious. Be curious, have the idea it might be different and be curious about how that will show up. There's this tricky question, you know, how can we be aware of these cultural differences of people from other countries, but without replicating common stereotypes, you know? Uh, it's very common that you, when you're traveling, when you're a tourist and you want to go to a specific place, you, you do your research. And, and those websites sometimes do replicate some stereotypes. So I guess it can be a thin line, you know, to be aware of these cultural differences, but at the same time, don't repeat stereotypes. Well, I think one thing that would help people is if they were first aware of their own culture. You know, I'm, I, I think about American culture and, you know, things that are different because 
But most people don't think about their culture. They just think about how we do things. And if you can be aware of your own culture, you can also see the differences. So, you know, I always have a story. Um, but one of the things Americans are known for about being crazy about being on time and a very precise definition of what it means to be on time. And we're always focused on time. So it's easy to think that all Americans are always going to be on time. But I have a friend who works on what I call Sharon Standard Time. <laughs> you know, it's one of those people that you tell them her the meeting is at 10 because you want her there by 1030. So if you can be sort of aware of things that are about your own culture and then realize who you know that's your person with Sharon standard time or whatever that might be, if your culture is quiet and reserved, but you probably have a friend who's loud and boisterous, it will help you remember that, okay, most people in the United States, let's say, are going to be focused on being on time, but then there might be somebody who's not. So be alert for the differences. If someone's company already has some kind of, I don't know, guidebook of its own internal culture, um, should people share that with others? Like being very frontal, saying, this is my company culture just for you to be aware of it? Yeah, I, I would think if you're starting to work with somebody and you can already see that there may be some differences, you could explain, look, this is how we operate. So... It's two different conversations. If you're having a conversation who's coming to somebody to work with the company, then, you know, these are the worlds. This is what we do. If it's a company, somebody from a company that you're starting to be part of a network with, you're going to collaborate with, you can always frame it as, tell me what, what the rules are within your company, because I want to share with you what the rules are in ours so that we can make sure that we can work well together. So it's about sharing information so you can find ways to be comfortable together. At least that's how I would think about it. So if we were in a normal situation, I would ask you maybe for specific recommendations on how to conduct, for example, a business meeting in another country. But part of why we're talking today is because we're not living normal times. We're in the middle of a pandemic. And this pandemic has changed a lot the way people communicate. Is there some sort of remote work etiquette, you know, some sort of playbook on how to be aware of these cultural differences, even if you're working uh, from home on, on virtual platforms? Well, I think you have to remember that human beings, even on a virtual platform, are still human beings. The more you're aware of cultural differences, the more you can sort of bring that awareness to a virtual world. So what, what I'm thinking about is a difference between Americans, because, you know, I'm most familiar with those people, and almost everybody else in the world. So one thing that's very distinctive about Americans in a business culture is we're very much focused on task rather than relationship. So even in an in-person meeting, we're about get on time, stick to the agenda, move through the, the list of things to talk about. And yet we know that people from around the world are much more comfortable building a relationship first. 
right? Getting to know each other. And so one of the things, whether when we're on in a virtual platform is how do we allow some time for that getting to know each other? You know, when you're in an in-person meeting, often there's a few minutes conversation beforehand, or you can hang out for a few minutes afterwards and talk about how are the kids and how your favorite soccer team is doing. It's harder to do that in a virtual way. And it's important to find the way to have those moments where people can connect, to be aware that one of the things that's difficult for everybody in a Zoom or Teams or whatever platform you're talking about is this direct eye contact all the time. And for people from cultures where direct eye contact feels aggressive in an in-person way, it, it can be crazy making on Zoom. It's exhausting for all of us because you don't have the normal look at the ceiling, look at the guy down at the other end of the table. You're just looking face to face. So some of it is you just need to bring your awareness of what the cultural differences are and see if you can watch for the clues that somebody's uncomfortable, allow some time for getting to know you time, things like that. It, it requires some thoughtful creativity, I'd say. Now, for everyone out there hearing this, they're probably already <laughs> very excited and agree with everything you've said and are, are very aware of the relevance of uh, the culture. Uh, but what should they do? Should they go outside and hire a, a cultural expert? Do they have to approach a specific consultants? What, what, what is the first step towards you know, uh, doing this and in, in a formal way inside of your company or organization? Well, there are lots of consultants out there. There are companies who do this. There are some really great, um, oh, I can't find the word right now, tools for assessing your own culture as, opposed, as in relationship to other cultures. I always suggest that people look at the work of an uh, interculturalist named Richard Lewis because it's easy to understand. Um, there are lots of books out there. There's a, a fun book to read called The Accidental Nomad. It's about doing business in Asia when you bring an American mindset and how challenging it can be. There's no one right, one answer. It depends on whether people are trying to learn some things independently or whether you're talking about a company who's going to contract with a consultant or a consulting company. There are lots of resources out there uh, for people to find that can help them at whatever stage of exploration they're at. To add up to that, I mean, should a big global company have a specific person to be responsible for this uh, strategy of being cultural, uh, aware of the cultural differences? I mean, sh who should be the, that person responsible inside the organization of a company in case something goes wrong? Who to blame? <laughs> so I'm laughing, of course, because I think, of course, there should be a specific person, but that's just not realistic. Uh, it, it often comes... This kind of training, cultural awareness training, diversity and inclusion training to get broader, often falls into staff development and whoever, maybe it's part of the HR 
Sometimes it's driven by a sales team who is beginning to encounter other people and bring in a consultant to work with the sales team as they go uh, broadly. It depends on the company and the structure, but the most important thing is that somebody at the top needs to believe it's important. And that's what it all flows from. You've, you've given us some examples and shared some anecdotes on companies that they didn't do their homework well, but can you give us an example of a company or organization that was truly successful because they did have this cultural sensibility? You know, what comes to mind for me is Ikea, mm. who, who said, whose founder said, the farther the new country is that we're going to enter is from us, the more work we need to do beforehand to understand the culture. And it's that kind of mindset that makes a difference. And that's how successful people look at it. Hmm. And I think you can look around the world and see lots of interesting companies, big and small, who have been able to build a successful footprint. But sometimes they're small companies that we don't know a lot about, but they're the ones that are around for a long time. They take their time. You know, one of the important things is to take your time to get to know the place, to get to know the people. And one of the things we see successful people companies do is bring staff from what is abroad, whether that's if your home country's in Paris or in Beijing or in LA, bring people from other parts of the world to the home office to see what, what it's like there. there um, somebody said, we talk about having offsite meetings to bring everybody together. But the most successful ones are the insight meetings to bring people to the different offices so everybody can see each other. And that is a really creative way to get people to bond and connect and understand each other. Yeah, and I would add probably that's a great way to create your own company culture with everyone inside the company involved, no matter where they are or where they, where they live, right? Yeah, exactly. And it, And if I come and see you in your office or you come visit me in my office, we're going to have a different understanding of how we work. And think about that when your office is 50 people, how many people you can touch just by being there for a couple of hours. It makes a difference. So we are reaching the, the end of the interview, but I have still a couple of more questions. Um, what kind of businesses benefited the most from having a better understanding of the cultural differences of their potential clients and partners? Some people may think that some business may not need to be that aware because maybe their products and services don't need to adapt to specific markets. You can guess my answer. So I'm going to answer you this way. Every company that is doing business globally or even what I'd call internationally, U.S., Mexico, U.S., Canada, France to England, needs to be aware of this because a company is a group of people trying to get accomplish a common goal. 
And mm -hmm. if you want people to be able to work together, they need to have some understanding of each other. So every company can benefit from this. I agree. You're not surprised to hear me say that. No, right? no, no. <laughs> I, I mean, obviously, even more so in this moment, any business has to have global ambitions because, you know, your local market will eventually saturate. If you're really, really successful, you will saturate your own local market. So you Absolutely. have to look elsewhere, right? And your customers are, yeah, exactly what you're saying. Your customers are going to come from other places. So you've already mentioned some uh, resources, but can you maybe give us a couple more resources for improving our international communications? Maybe some books, websites, webinars, things like that? Yes, I can actually. There, well, I always go back to Richard Lewis and I can send you a link so that you can share with people from your podcast. If, if people look for, do a Google search for the Lewis model dimensions of behavior. There are some really terrific books. There's a company called The Cultural Detective that does some really interesting work and has some interesting blogs and postings. There's a company called TMA Worldwide. And both of those companies are big companies that have lots of tools for assessing your culture, the culture of other people, helping you learn about your own culture as it compares to other people. Those are two companies that I think do really interesting work. So you can find them online. Um, there's a podcast for, I suppose, for American companies called The World, helping us look at the world more broadly. I, and there, I, I told you I like the book, The Accidental Business Nomad. Um, it's, a very lighthearted but very insightful look at some of the challenges of entering a new market written by a man who did the work. Um, and then if you want, I can send you a list of books. Richard Lewis has books. There are books. There are lots of books. But, but of course, Lainey, a lot of people will want to reach you after hearing this uh, conversation. So where people can find more about you and how you can help them be more conscious about the you know, cultural differences when doing uh, business globally. I actually should do a little marketing and tell you that there are two books of mine that people could read. One's called Working with Americans, the second edition, and one's called Worldwise, What to Know Before You Go. And people can find me on LinkedIn. They can find me at Laney at worldwiseonline.net. And I would be very happy to hear from anybody who's shared this podcast with us. Well, Lainey, that's the end of the show. Thank you very much for sharing this conversation with us and our audience. And hopefully we can talk again. And maybe, maybe after the pandemic is over, but hopefully sooner than that, we can talk about uh, more specific examples now that we go back to offices and having more uh, real-life contact about how to be culturally aware when doing international business. That would be terrific. That would be terrific. And then we can talk about uh, what we've discovered as we've traveled around. So thank you very much. It's really been a privilege to be on this podcast with you. It's been lots of fun. So thank you very much. I'm glad to hear that. Thank you very much, Lainey. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Remember that you can find all episodes on Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts. If you're planning to hire a new global team member, Globalization Partners makes it easy to onboard international talent in a matter of days. 
Go to globalization-partners.com to get started. This is Going Global, presented by Globalization Partners.